Welcome to the Miller Oddcast, a brand new podcast from the Missouri Review. For over 40 years now, TMR has been discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Our quarterly magazine appears in print, digital, and audio formats. Learn more at MissouriReview.com. Hello and welcome to Miller Oddcast, the Missouri Review podcast where we listen to and discuss the finalists for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize. I'm Mark McKee, TMR's Managing Editor. It's good to have you back, or here for the first time, with episode 44 of the Miller Oddcast, featuring the latest finalists for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize in prose, Beth Connors' The Lorelei. Beth Connor lives in the Pacific Northwest and loves to share stories through voice, dance, and the written word. She is the author of Hollow City, has narrated several audiobooks, and produces the podcast Crossroads Cantina. In her artist notes, she has this to say. In The Lorelei, we meet Melano in a story written by Heather McQuaid. This story was inspired by Heinrich Hein's poem, Die Lorelei, and was produced and performed by Beth. Heather's short stories have been shortlisted on Reads He and the Bridget Writers Circle competition, and she's finishing her first feature-length screenplay, A Taste of Blue. Learn more about Connor at her website or follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also follow Heather McQuaid on Twitter. Handles are listed in the show notes. Stay tuned after the Lorelei to hear managing editor Bailey Boyd and I discuss the exquisite production and the layered elegance and effectiveness of this piece. And now... Beth Connor's performance of The Lorelei. From her steep castle of sorrow and slate. Lorelei reigns over men and their fate. The river below, its faithless embrace, rests her great and unquiet birthplace. What's that from? asks the skinny girl. It's a legend, says Captain Plouts, keeping his keen eyes peeled on the perilous currents of the River Rhine as he pilots the paddle boat. Just ahead is the watery grave of many sailors, littered with the floatsome and jetsome of ships that crashed against the jagged rocks. Why'd they crash? Well, that's a longer story, Plouts says, scratching his white beard. Will you tell it to me? Yes he says, pointing to a large coil of thick white rope. Take a seat there. What's your name? Melano. But you can call me Mel. Okay, Mel. I'll begin with the Lorelei. When she was beseeching her husband, Heinrich, to be careful, the sea is a dangerous mistress, she said, and shall not claim you as her own. Her husband reassured her, Do not fear, my love. I set sail tomorrow, and I will return in five. His rough hands, calloused from the ropes and nets of his livelihood, caressed her blonde hair. You are my one true love, Lorelei, and none shall take your place, 
The days dragged by in slow, dull torture for Lorelei, alone in the sitting room of her humble home in Rudesheim am Rhein. She played the lyre and sang sad songs for three days to pass the interminable minutes until her husband's return. Men, captivated by her voice, stopped still in their tracks as they neared. Pressing their ears to the window, heedless of the horses and carts that rumbled along the cobbled road. On the fourth day of longing, a string pinked free from Lorelei's lyre. She grabbed her basket, woven from the small branches of saplings, and made her way along the cobblestone streets to the market. Passing by a shadowed doorway, she saw the butcher's bonny daughter embracing a man wrapped in her husband's cloak. Why was the man wearing her husband's cloak? Mel asks. I'm getting to that. Was this in the olden days? It was centuries ago, yes. Oh, Mel says, slurping on the straw. The captain continues. Lorelei recognized her husband at once. She cried out, Heinrich! But he turned away and led the butcher's daughter further into the house, shutting the door behind him. Lorelei dropped her basket onto the muddy road and screamed and cried. Then she ran and ran until she reached the banks of the Rhine, and she climbed and climbed the steepest cliff she could find. She paused at the top, gazing down the sharp precipice, then leapt to her demise. That's stupid. I... what? How old are you anyway? I'm 11, Mel says. This sounds like a fairy tale. My mother says fairy tales have a lot to answer for. The way they give girls unrealistic expectations of marriage and relationships. Well, I don't know about any of that. Do you want to hear the story or not? Mel nods. Persephone. A Greek goddess took pity on Lorelei's lifeless body and turned her into a beautiful nymph. She gave her a golden lyre so that Lorelei could play and sing to the captains on the ships as they navigated the Rhine. And she gave her a golden comb so that Lorelei could brush her golden locks. The captain says as he steers the paddle boat toward the middle of the river, Plucking a lock from the golden cascade, she fashions a lyre, a lyrical braid. Her voice, pure and heartbreaking, leaves stones shattered from aching. Seafarers in their small ships hear whispers of promised love in their ear. Beauty beckons, a tempestuous kiss, caressing echoes from the precipice. Captains and sailors, bring me your ships. Nearer to hear the song on my lips. Forget your wives, forget all others. Before you lies your eternal lover. So, she's like a siren? Mel asks. Ah yes, like a siren. She's killing like loads of innocent people because her husband was an ass. 
Young lady, that's no kind of language. Ass. Like a mule. I mean, a jackass. Mel says quickly, swirling the straw in the bottle. If I were a boy, would you care if I said ass? Well, I, uh... The captain trails off, his eyes drawn to the woman gliding toward them, her sandals padding softly on the deck. Ah, lovely, he whispers under his breath. As she approaches, she removes her sunglasses and shakes her blonde hair, which falls in golden waves, partially covering her bare shoulders. The wind whips the skirt of her pale green dress, billowing gracefully around her sculpted legs. Her smile is sly and bright, her lips red and full. Madam, the captain says, please allow me to introduce myself. I am Captain Plouts. Nice to meet you, Captain. I see you've been entertaining my daughter. Your daughter? Oh, oh yes, I see the resemblance, he says doubtfully. Mel rolls her eyes and takes her mother's hand. He was telling me a fairy tale. Oh, what about? About a siren who lures men to their deaths because she's mad at her husband because he cheated on her. And now she's getting revenge on men because I guess she's a man-hater? Of course, Mel says, drawing out the oar in course for effect. But you'll never guess what she's called. Hmm. I may have heard this story before, her mother says, smiling. We're approaching her now. If you look on your left, you'll see a steep cliff, more than 130 meters tall, made of slate. That's the Lorelei, the siren. She was a great beauty, but not as beautiful as you, Miss... Melino's mother holds out a cool, slender hand. Ms. Girton... She says, shaking the captain's clammy hand. Lorelai Girton. The captain's mouth drops open before he snaps it quickly shut. And captain, Lorelai says, you better watch where you're going. These are treacherous waters. Hi, Internet. Welcome back to the Miller Oddcast. Uh, I'm Mark McKee, Managing Editor of the Missouri Review. I'm here with Bailey Boyd, Contest Editor for the Missouri Review. Hello. And you've just listened to The Lorelei by Beth Connor, a 2021 finalist in prose for the Miller Audio Prize. And Bailey, this is a, yeah, this is a fun little story. Yes, it is. And I think the th- the first thing that we notice is just how well done the audio production is. Uh, the voice acting that takes place over the course of the story is uh, really effective. And the sound effects, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, you can really just sit back and close your eyes and imagine not only the characters, but also their actions um, as you hear the, the slurping of the straw. I just, I love that sound. It's so, you can't mistake it for anything else. And it's so fitting, uh, an 11 year old. Yeah, yeah. technical aspect. Yeah, Melano. It's almost like a, it's almost like a character beat for, for an 11 year old, kind of like the, the, the slurped straw. Right, and the nickname. 
and and you know we've been talking uh, about this piece before and just her spunk that's the word we kept using the the, the swearing and then the quick explanation after um how it's okay um yeah she you just you can't help but be drawn to mel in this story yeah, as I was saying when we were talking before, there's uh, nothing like a spunky kid to really class up a joint. And of course, the interactions between her and the captain, uh, who's telling her the you know the myth of Lorelai, amid amid her kind of questions and <laughs> kind of skepticism, before being picked up by her mom. Right, the challenging of of the fairy tale. Yeah, which ultimately I think the the. And I mean, we were both saying this actually, that the sheen of the audio work can can sort of lull you um, in a way because it's so it's so pleasant to listen to and it's so it's so fun that it hides a little or or it kind of like it manages to fold in really elegantly a lot of commentary about fairy tales, about feminism and sexism about uh, basic uh, sexist fear of women and, and reprisal for, for wrongdoing, which seems, I mean, which seems antiquated, or at least to, you know, kind of to various ways of thought that we, that we pursue today in terms of, I mean, especially with, with, the, with feminism. But What's really, what's really fascinating for me here too is to kind of like observe the shifts, the generational shifts, because as you said, there are really kind of like three generations represented here. Yeah, and even just watching that process happen, you know, watching, watching Mel challenge this story and then, you know, without missing a beat, if I just said that and I was a little boy and then hearing... Mm -hmm the captain kind of stammer a little bit. So you're like actually seeing mm-hmm. that those antiquated ideas kind of be challenged. And then you see the processing of that and the captain too of, oh gosh, I really don't have an answer for this. So you're seeing the, the, the gears turn in his head too, which, which is really fascinating. And, and I think it's, it's so nicely done that we have such a young child talking to the older man without the mother there, that middle generation for quite a while, because it just sharpens that that contrast so much that makes it really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's just it's just very pleasing in many ways uh, that I mean, this kid's not just spunky and, and not just, you know, but like spunky with a purpose. And then uh, it comes to, you know, there's, of course, the reveal that we're a big fan of when her mother comes to pick her up that her mother's name is Lorelai and she you know she kind of leaves the captain with oh you better watch you better watch yourself captain and I mean we were talking we were comparing it to this you know uh, it's a it's a it's a lower degree of twist than like some movies we were talking about you know like the usual suspects and the sixth sense and various others of the late 90s <laughs> It's, it does still manage to convey just enough menace that even, I mean, like there's the challenging of the fairy tale, the challenging of the kind of inherent sexism that is kind of fearful of, you know, female rage, I suppose. But there's also a kind of unwillingness to relinquish some of that mystique. 
Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I find that really interesting. I love the, the emphasis on Ms. Right. So we understand that Lorelai is not married and we, she's inviting, she obviously knows about this fairy tale. Um, and so can play on that while she's also in other moments that we don't get to see teaching her daughter about fairy tales and all of all of what they need to answer for so yeah I think I think playing on that and and knowing I think what that reveals for me is that Lorelai knows that the captain believes that story right so whether or not she wants to believe it or she wants her her daughter to believe in, in the fairy tale but but playing on his belief of it so on the one on the one hand yeah, let's knock these these legends down because of this construction of mm-hmm. of of female rage that you know the woman scorned would have to become a monster, of course, mm-hmm. because that's how she would react. Um, but then at the same time, also you using that for to get back to kind of get back if you want to put those in scare quotes with this captain. So I think I think Lorelai is having a lot of fun with it at the end. Yeah, I think I mean I I agree. And I think one of the great things about that is that like, because this is a story that contains the Lorelei story within it, one of the ways that we can understand what she's doing there is kind of elevating herself above that story. Right. And the captain, I mean, whether he believes or not, is tied to that story because he's tied to the same assumptions about women that it, it conveys or amplifies. And so this lovely little gesture of like, well, you better watch yourself, like just places Lorelai and her daughter, quite frankly, like well out of the reach of the, of that, that, that myth in ways that are just, I'm just going to use the word delicious. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, I, yeah, just seeing the different, the different characters and how they each react to the story, because I mean, Mel just outright challenges it. Um, and the and the captain, like you said, fully believes in is attached to it. But, and then you have Lorelai kind of in the middle. I mean, she's she's obviously challenging it, but but still using it to play too. So having having those kind of steps in the in the generations and seeing what each character does with it is really fun. Mm-hmm. And as is a hallmark of the Miller Oddcast, this leads us right to what we like to say at the end, which is it re- it's rewarding to listen to it again. Yes. Uh, especially because of the way that like the name becomes a, a kind of miniature twist at the end. Uh, yeah, and, and it might illuminate some other things for you after knowing the ending and then going back and giving it another listen and seeing what else, what else reveals itself to you in this story. Yeah, so, you know, what are you waiting for? Do it already. <laughs> This is the part where we wave and we say goodbye and we say thank you for listening. And we'll be back soon with more Miller Oddcast. Just keep an eye out, keep an ear bent, and be safe and be well. Thanks so much. See ya. Bye. Thanks for being here with us for Miller Oddcast 44, featuring the Lorelei from Beth Connor. Oddcast 45 is right around the corner, so be alert. Thanks, as always, to the Missouri Review contest editor, Bailey Boyd, and to Patricia Miller for her generous support for the Miller Audio Prize. A quick reminder, TMR is open for submissions year-round. 
and we remain dedicated to discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Be heard. Give us the opportunity to discover you. Submit your work today. Subscribe to the magazine. In addition, we have tons of marvelous, free, creative content to read, listen to, and even watch on our website. Learn more at MissouriReview.com.